sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foot. Welcome into Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 706-0111. 706-0111 as we broadcast live from the EFCO Development Studios. In Upper Lafayette, EFCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Uh, another great humanitarian effort by the Houston Astros, keeping you know the Piper from being too angry at the uh, the Tampa Bay Rays. You know we they did it for the Braves. Now they did it for the Rays. They're just trying to protect the brethren. Uh, from the Piper on Monday, they ended the Rays' home run streak, and then yesterday they were able to end the Rays' uh, home winning streak to open a season, which had got you know it had been a it had been since 1907 since a team had won that many home games to open a season, and uh, Luis Garcia, I mean, just his first three outings were poor. One of them was really bad. In his last two outings, uh, he hasn't given up a run. He has pitched fabulous. And considering the opposition, the Blue Jays and the Rays, probably uh, the two best outings of the season so far for Astros starters. So that was great to see. And then there's this cat, Dubon. Unbelievable. Dubon. How well he has done. 19 game hitting streak. Would the Astros like to have Altuve back? Certainly. But Altuve wouldn't be doing better than Dubon's doing. Now he'd had he'd hit for probably a little more power. Cause this is what's gonna happen. When Altuve comes back, now Dubon's not gonna sit every day because he'll play center field some days. He'll play shortstop some days, that kind of thing. But uh, chances are Altuve is going to, you know, get off to a slow start coming off of an injury like that. And then, you know, everybody's going to say, bring Dubon back. Unbelievable. Understand the Astros' longest hitting streak ever is 30 by Willie T, Willie Tavares. And then he goes to 25. Now, there are quite a few people between 20 and 25, so he's not in the top 10 yet. But if he gets, like, three more games, you know, he's going to be, like, top five, top six Astro hitting streaks ever. Now, all of these guys were pretty good players. I guess you could say Tony Eusebio. He was a backup catcher, part-time catcher. So he's probably, like, the least overall great hitter. Uh, all these other guys that are up here, Kevin Bass, Rusty Staub, Miguel Tejada, Lee May, Dickie Thon, Cesar. I mean, all these guys are were really good players, it, it, except for Eusebio and Mauricio Dubon. <laughs> so it's unbelievable. Anyway, uh, more – look, the NBA – we all assumed that the Eastern Conference was going to be chalk. It, so far, it's not turning out that way. The Bucks are down 
I can make the argument that last night was the most embarrassing performance in the history of the Boston Celtics. Not because they lost, although that doesn't hurt. I mean, when you play, when you have that big of a lead in an elimination game against, um, against a team in the Hawks who are not all that good. Like, it was the first time ever that a team in a, that was about to be eliminated was down by that many points with that few time left, little time left, and won. But, and so that was bad enough. But did you see what, I mean, you know what I feel about uniforms and franchises like the Celtics. They ought to, like, they ought to send apology letters to everybody who's a Celtic fan. And look, I hate the Celtics. Hated them my whole life. But that was embarrassing. I mean, you, what, look, I don't root for the Yankees. I've never really, I mean, there have been games when I rooted for the Yankees, but I've never been a Yankee fan. But I've always respected that they, you know, they have standards, they wear the same uniforms, all that. You have, when you're a historical franchise, you can't be all willy-nilly. That, that uniform the Celtics wore last night was just embarrassing. Like, if I was them, I would have just been embarrassed to put that on. So I think last night might have been the most embarrassing night of basketball in the history of the Boston Celtics. So I enjoyed it thoroughly. I enjoyed seeing that that, that happened thoroughly. That was awesome. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens tonight. Uh, I kind of think the Lakers are going to lose. The Lakers are kind of in preserve energy mode, I would think. And so I kind of think they'll lose this game, but we'll see. What, what what happens there? I kind of think the Bucks are going to win at home. I mean, you got to win at home, right? So I would think the Bucks would win, but we'll see. So lot, you know, any certainly um, lots to discuss in the NBA. Tomorrow is the NFL draft. I um trying to decide. I mean, I got a Saints prediction. Down to like, you know, two positions, two or three players. You know, I'll just see how I feel tomorrow. So, it, you know, it's not like I'm all over the place. It's just narrowing down which one is you think is going to be there and who who do you think they're going to take. I don't know. I, I, I feel just like I did yesterday. I, I'm really – and I hope I'm wrong. I hope if they draft this guy, he's tremendous. But I mean, something tells me they're they're higher on way higher on Brazil than I am. But we'll see how that plays out. But the thing that I really can't figure out in my mind, and I've got to figure out before you know tomorrow, is do I buy? We talked about it yesterday. Do I buy that the Texans are going to not pick a quarterback, or is all of this a smokescreen, which it very well very well may be, and they're going to pick a quarterback, and if they pick one. Are they really going to pick a quarterback whose agent is the same agent as Deshaun Watson? Are they really going to do that? Which is Stroud. So I, that you know, there's a lot, a lot of layers to that to, to to that part of the mock draft. And again, it all stems from that because if you don't pick a quarterback at two, then man, who knows where you are? Who knows where you are? All right, more interesting college baseball last night. The Cajuns played okay. 
They had one big inning. He scored seven runs in the inning, which was good to see. But uh, the pitching was still not good. And um, Coach Deggs, understandably, was not happy after the game. Very unhappy after the game. Uh, LSU got beat again in another midweek game, kind of some in dramatic fashion. Thatcher Hurd actually had a decent, pretty good outing, but uh, some other things didn't go well. They didn't get a ton of hits, and we'll be talking with Koki in the um, in the next segment about that. For now, let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Morning, Kevin. Good morning, sir. Listen, uh, 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 you know, LSU game, let me just say that Nichols played, Kevin, uh, uh, I, I want to say four or five just remarkable remarkable defensive plays that that would have resulted in a fairly comfortable LSU win. And listen, oh, man, just, you know, you know, the last play of the game was number one on top ten. Yeah, you know, I saw 17. that, yeah. But, I mean, just multiple catches in the outfield, running catches into the wall, up on the wall. So, I mean, you know, listen, it, 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 no, no, there was some – I yeah I really don't have, I know we don't have time for me to explain the play but a play on a sat on a squeezed bunt miss run a miss the plate and catch a drop the ball pitch a catch, picks a ball run up from first base Kevin it's first and third situation they squeeze bunt run up from first base comes all the way around the third everybody screaming he missed the plate pitcher goes to the dugout. But why would you do that? I mean, we're going to discuss this with Koki in the next segment, but once you leave the baseline, you're done. Listen, listen, let me just say the coach, you know, and it was a rather panicked situation. It was a tying run. Jay Johnson came out. You can see him on the screen yelling and pointing to the guy, Nichols, who was walking back toward the dugout. Pointing for the pitcher who had picked up the ball to go and tag him. And he starts going towards him, and he realizes the guy's on third. And he looks at the guy, kind of hesitates, and he goes, uh, the, the kid had not gone to the dugout yet. He goes all the way to the entrance of the dugout. And when he, t- I mean, the guy's, you know, big, and he broke. He was fast running. And he, he, slid, they threw, he threw the ball back and slid under the tag. So, yeah, if he just stays at the plate, none of that happens. They get out of the inning. Lead, right, the lead, right. And, you know, so, anyway, okay, quickly. Luke did a piece yesterday in the Advocate. Did you see the, the clouds that he created, Kevin? I did not. I can't, I can't do Go back. Can't do any more for you than Luke, what Luke did. He's got a cloud, you know, you know in, our, in our world we live in, of each round, the top three rounds. Who might be? In those rounds, so got like six or seven guys in each cloud that could be in there. So, the only thing I want to tell you is to try to. I'm trying to keep all the curveballs. I saw a new one yesterday. DJ Turner, cornerback for Michigan. He had the top. He's a he's a combine freak. Ran a four two six in the forty. Yada yada yada. And of course, I've seen Emmanuel Forbes. And you've mentioned Emmanuel Ford before. But the Luke, I thought the Luke piece was really what we were looking for because he's got every, he's got, like I said, a cloud of, of 
six or seven guys, eight guys in in the first three rounds. So, Kevin, that's about the best we can do on curveball. Uh, I mean, I, I, I'm seeing I'm like, seeing Josh Downs' name more, the wide receiver from North Carolina, more in the first round now too. So I I don't think the Saints are going to pick a wide receiver, no, but I yeah, am but, seeing but, his you know, name try, more. We we just trying to avoid curveballs, Kevin. Yes. So look, man, I think we I think we. If they say a name that we <laughs> that we haven't seen, wow, Kevin, they will really be a curveball because yes. in in our world, you know, people cover about as covered about as much as you can cover it. All right, Kevin. All right, All sir. Right. Take Later. care. We'll be back. Koki on the other side. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. We have with us our weekly Wednesday conversation with Mr. Koki Riley of the USA Today Network. How are you, sir? Doing great. How's it going? Well, it's going okay. The NFL draft is tomorrow, and I am uh, haven't figured out how I'm going to du- duplicate that or, or finish off a mock draft there. I'm sure you're way too tied up in um in um in co- college baseball and such but do you have any advice oh in terms of uh in terms of in, in terms of are the Houston do you buy that the Houston Texans are going to go a position other than quarterback or you think that's all a smoke screen oh I think they would be crazy not to but um yeah I, I mean, I'm honestly having trouble telling you whether it is a smoke screen or not because part of me just given some of the decisions that franchise has made over the last year or two it's, it is possibly it would do something that ridiculous but at the same time it's so ridiculous so it's hard to tell like what's true and what's not and it's kind of a source off between Schefter and Rappaport as to what they're actually going to do and it, it just seems very very messy to me but I think Bryce Young goes one and then after that it's it gets really, really interesting, and and this is about as muddy as it gets. And, uh, and talking about the the eve of the draft, right? So, and the messiness is compounded by the fact that C.J. Stroud's agent is Deshaun Watson's agent. Yeah, exactly. the, 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 great, they, great that that, that so, hasn't been a real comfortable situation for a few years. Yeah. 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 <laughs> anyway, okay. all right. So, um, look, we we've been down this midweek game thing for years you know when you have when you know the team LSU has and it it really doesn't matter but that doesn't mean that nothing that happens during those games could mean something down the road so uh, I guess the good of last night is that Hurd had a fairly good outing which he hadn't had a whole lot of those it seems and um and yet the bull, the pitching down the stretch wasn't tremendous, giving up a run in the eighth and two in the ninth. So what do you make of all that? Yeah, um, I, I think some of the runs were 
just calls from bad defense. Um, there's the one really awkward play in the eighth inning where um, they supposedly so, – so where there's a sack bunt, the runner from third scores since I believe what was it, second and third, um, and the runner scores, but he doesn't tag home plate. Um, so they tag the runner, but then the runner from second comes all the way home to score the actual run, and that ends up being – at the end of the day, that ends up deciding the game. That happened in the eighth and tie the game. Um, ninth inning, they scored two. One's off a single, one's off an error. Um, so it, it was just a very, very ugly performance defensively for LSU. They've had some of these brain farts, and I know that stuff happens just more in college baseball in general, and I get that. But like that, like some of this stuff just can't be happening. Um, and we saw it the last midweek too, where. You know, there were the two drop fly balls because of the way the sky looked. And, you know, they, there were some weird shenanigans happening in that game, too. Maybe it's just a coincidence that happened in back-to-back weeks. Or maybe it's just them not, you know, concentrating as much as they should be on midweek games after what's been a, a rigorous SEC schedule. Um, I mean, there's a variety of excuses that you can use. But at the end of the day... I mean, you just got to perform better, especially defensively in these games. And I think with the pitching staff, I, I think what these midweek games have kind of shown is sort of lack of depth they have. Um, I know Bryce Collins was in gray last night, um, but I guess he was sort of due to give up a run at one point. And it was kind of weird that they just went curveball after curveball after curveball to, to the last batter that, where they gave up the single that scored, that scored, um, ended up scoring the two runs. Um, well, it was a single to give up a run and an error that gave up the second run on the same play. So it's, um, that was my night inning. So it's, um, it's just really, really like messy baseball. And I don't know, it's just, it's just something you really don't want to see, um, really ever, but especially against a team like Nichols. And, it was, and again, it was another surprising week where the offense just didn't show up again. Um, five runs, I guess, isn't really not showing up, but um, for this team, that's not showing up. Yeah, so. and you only had you had five runs, you only had seven hits, and so no, I get. It. And look, I there there is I'm, I don't think there should be any concern about the offense. I, I, I'm just saying, you know, with the injury situation that keep mounting, I mean, how serious. You know, we we talked about this about three weeks ago. It's one thing to get through a regular season. But, you know, can you get through regionals and super regionals and, you know, an Omaha challenge potentially with a lack of pitching depth? Yeah, um, that's a great, great question. And I, the answer is probably not. And without Chase Shores, you're eliminating that possibility altogether. But there's still a chance that Garrett Edwards comes back, and, and that would really help. Um, this team out, Nate Ackenhausen is back, and that may help this team out quite a bit. Um, they have a bunch of left-handed options, but, you know, they need Thatcher Hurd to be Thatcher Hurd again, and um, that still hasn't quite been the case last night, as you mentioned, was a step in the right direction. But until he becomes the guy who could throw five or six innings and only give up a run or, a run or none and look like, Sort of the dominant guy that he looked like at times from the very beginning of the season, especially during, especially against Texas, that it's really hard to see this team um, 
getting winning in Omaha, you know, because you got so many games and so many days, and um, your rotation gets messy, and you can't throw Paul Skeens every single day, right? So it's it's tough um, in terms of like some of the like, and they might need, and heck, we don't even know if they have the short uh, the short inning relief options that they probably would need in order to win in Omaha. Um, it's just really tough, and you don't want to put too much pressure on your offense. And you know, one thing turns into another, and you, you you're going to have trouble. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's they're in a tough spot right now, and, um, and it's hard to, and it's weird to say that because they're still the number one team in the country. But I guess the good news for them is that there's no other team that probably has as much talent as they do, and and um, you know, there's not a lot. There's really no one else that you can point at and be like, okay, they're definitely better than this LSU team, I guess. South Carolina, but South Carolina probably has a slightly similar issue when it comes to the pitching. So um, we're going to see how this all shakes out, though. And um, I, I think, I guess they're still the odds on favorites, them or South Carolina, but you don't feel great about their odds just because, or as well as you, as you don't feel as good as you probably should should feel. Right. All right. So last Ole Miss was, you know, as someone once said, who we thought they were. And that went, you know, well, like like you like we, most of us kind of figured. Now, Alabama, you know, they got off to an encouraging start and they've been OK since then. How, how do you look at that series? Yeah, they've had trouble against the better teams that they've played, and they've done a really good job of beating who I guess they quote-unquote should beat. Um, if you look at the numbers, uh, they've actually been very good this season. Um, I mean, what are they? They're, they are um, they're sec- they're fourth in OVP and third in ERA in the SEC, uh, second in batting average as well. So they're, they're a pretty well-rounded team. They're a veteran team, a lot of returning guys. Um, that are simply just performing better this season. Um, they're a little bit healthier now, and Garrett McMillan back in the rotation. Um, there were t- the weekend rotation last week was Luke Coleman, Garrett McMillan, and, and Jacob McNary, and um, Grayson Hitt and Ben Hess are no longer. Doesn't seem like they're in the rotation at the moment, at least. So it's um, yeah, like this is a pretty good team, and uh, you you can't really you know lie on your laurels too much. But I guess back to what I was mentioning earlier with um, their performances against uh, you know, tougher competition. I mean, they lost series to Florida, Kentucky, Mississippi State, Arkansas. They weren't swept by any of them, but um, they, I, don't say, I wouldn't say they were necessarily dominant either. I mean, they swept Missouri this past week. Missouri has sort of fallen back to earth after they had a really hot start to their year. So, um, so right now, 99 conference play, 13-12 overall. This is a good team. Um, not a great team. Uh, they're kind of treading water in the SEC. They'll make the SEC tournament. I, I right now, I'm actually not 100 percent sure if they're in on the on the first D1 baseball projected regionals, double uh, A regionals. I'm not 100 percent sure about that, but uh, they're definitely a contender for it. And this is a huge, week, huge weekend series for them. Um, but you know, LSU being at home, uh, they, they should be the favorite to at least win the series. Um, and, and I think that's what you should expect if you're an LSU fan, really regardless of the opponent, uh, but especially against a team like Alabama that's had trouble 
um, winning series and winning games against uh, top-tier competition. All right, so before we go, I'm going to ask you one more question. Overall, SEC-wise, who would you say is the most surprising team in terms of maybe better than you thought they were going to be, and who would you say would be the biggest disappointment so far from what your preseason Mm. expectations were? I think the biggest disappointment has been Ole Miss, and I don't think that's that hard to figure out just because, I mean, this team won the national championship last year and brought back some really key pieces, and yet they're just not very good. Um, And it's, I mean, the pitching is just really, really not there, especially from a depth perspective. Um, I, I mean, and offensively, I, I think they're a little thin. They have some. They definitely have some very capable offensive players. Dave, Dave Gonzalez, Kemp Alderman being two of them for sure. And um, but it's and they had some guys step up in the LSU series. But I, I think overall. They could not be that bad. There's no way. And I think an honorable mention, I mean, there's some honorable mentions like Mississippi State, but um, I think Ole Miss has just really been, that's been really tough to watch this season. Um, I guess in terms of like a surprise, I'd say South Carolina for sure. I thought this this would be a competitive team. I thought this would be a, a roughly a top 25 team, but I really did not think this team would be almost neck and neck with LSU towards the top of the. Um, on top of the college baseball rankings, like this team is just really, really good. And they got a lot of talent offensively. Ethan Petrie's been amazing this season. Um, and Gavin Casas is an excellent power hitter as well. They, they've got power coming out of their ears. Um, and pitching wise, I, they have enough. Um, even though they're not, it, it's not like a top tier rotation, but Will McIntyre is still a talent, very talented guy. And um, yeah, I, I I have confidence that that team's going to be a real problem for anyone who they, anyone they face against in um, the regionals, super regionals, or even the College World Series if they get there. So um, I think South Carolina is officially back, and um, at least for this season, because that's really a heck of a team. And I think that they're the best team the LSU has played this season, just from all the teams I've been able to uh, get a chance to watch LSU play at least. Um, they they really do seem like the best. I guess honorable mentions for this would be Georgia. Georgia's really turned on the screws over the last few weeks. They swept Arkansas this past week. Really just to see how LSU matches up against them in the last week of the season. Um, and I think if I had to take another team, I think that would probably be it. Um, Texas A&M's probably a little bit worse than I thought they would be. Um, same goes in Mississippi State, even though they've made a slight resurgence. And I think Tennessee on the on the disappointing side um, would be on there on that uh, I guess long list as well. Although I think their uh, sweep against Vanderbilt this past week was really huge in terms of just making sure they get into the field. In terms of hosting a regional, I think that ship is more or less sailed. Um, but I, I I do think that you know making the tournament is. I would say it's a formality at this point. They still have some work to do, but like sweeping Vanderbilt on the road is huge for them as they get that. Absolutely. All right, sir. We appreciate your time as always. Talk to you again next week. Thank you very much. Awesome. Thanks so much, Kevin. 
This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Footnotes. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game. You know, I was thinking while Koki uh, was talking about Ole Miss, for those of you, if there's anyone out there, and I'm sure there are plenty, who don't really buy the old medicine season thing, boy, man, and, and medicine season, again, it, it's really, a, all, all those theories are really professional sports theories, but, but, the Ole Miss baseball team is like the poster child for what a medicine season is. It's like when you come out of nowhere and you achieve something that no one thought you would, it's 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 not impossible, but it's pretty close to follow up on that. It's just it's just um it's um very difficult to do. They they are the poster child of the concept and the logic behind a medicine season for sure. So, yeah, it's surprising that they're as bad as they have been, but really they that they they were going to have a medicine season. They just were. So, we'll see how how that plays out. All right, the game hotline again 7060111 7060111 if you would like to get in, talk to a little College baseball, we'll see how that plans out. We'll be talking in about an hour. Some college softball with UL softball coach Jerry Glasgow. They're going to be heading to South Carolina. But again, this is a lot more NFL draft talk this week because tomorrow is the draft. And we've had some quite a few interesting baseball, Major League Baseball series of late. So we've been talking some about that as well. Let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Foot. Yes, sir. The only reason I'm bringing him up is because you have him. But right now in the Major League Baseball, is there any more of a dominant pitcher than, than Strider? I mean, he, first of all, he needs to save, shave that mustache. But as far as for pitching-wise, is there a more dominant pitcher than Strider he, right now in the Major League? He's, he's, he's good. It's very early, but he's really good. No, look, one of the more popular things – uh, you know, when you read like the fantasy baseball preseason stuff, a lot of people were, a lot of the fantasy baseball experts were saying stay away from Strider, but they, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's logical that when you hit kind of like the medicine season theory a little bit, when you when you when you hit it big right away, you're probably going to take a little half a step back. So far, that has not been the case. I mean, he broke John Smoltz's record of nine strikeouts in in like. The most consecutive games for for a Brave. I mean, he's just I don't know. But you think that they would catch up to the fastball pretty soon because he his his major pitch is the fastball. I mean, but but it's just like he strikes out everybody every game. You played a Mets this weekend, right? Mets this weekend after the after. I wish we can play the Marlins every game, but uh, unfortunately we can't play them every day. <laughs> they don't let you play the Marlins every day. 
No, man, the Pirates were up like seven to two or something yesterday, and they lost. And they they would have won. I mean, they their little streak might be over. We'll see how they do. But no, that'll be that'll be a, an interesting series. Now it's extremely extremely early, but are the Braves going to be in the hunt for a bullpen arm come the trading deadline? Uh, I, I, I I'm satisfied with the bullpen. I mean, we just got a. Um... I forgot his name now. M- M- uh, the ball from the Astros. What's his name? Ball got a brain cramp. McHugh. Yeah, we just got him back, and and, and we for the Braves are not just like the Astros. The Braves need to get healthy. I mean, Michael Harris is due back anytime. Iglesias is due back anytime. They all on the way back, so I think we'll be okay. Oh no, you're gonna win. You're gonna be fine. I'm just talking about like for the postseason. Yeah. Well, we, I guess they'll have to see how, how it goes. I mean, I, I like you say, it's way too early to know what, what you're going to need now. Yeah. But, I mean. Uh, All right. So, I know, I, I know that, um, you know, you're a Dolphin fan. So, it's time to strap it on in that division. Oh, is it time to strap it on? But but the the, the early rumors I'm hearing right now is as soon as, the Minnesota Vikings let Dalvin Cook go, which is anything, anytime now. They said the Dolphins are going to make a strong run at Dalvin Cook. Man, but well, y'all getting greedy. Well, uh, if we can get Dalvin Cook for it, I think. And, and, and is is if Tua can, the key, like everybody knows, the, the key is for Tua to stay healthy. If Tua can stay in the game, I think the Bra- the, the, Bra- the Dolphins can win that division. I mean, they were there last year before he got hurt, but that's a big key. I don't know. I mean, he hasn't proved that he can stay healthy. And that division is whew, tough. It's a it's yeah. about one time. More, hey, foot, one more thing before I go. Why does a why does uh, players as soon as they they let get let go from another team always talk bad about the team? Did you hear Julie's last comments? He's saying that they were cheating and that pe- more people need to step up and say that they were doing it. Why even start that again? Because because the Astros didn't resign you. Oh, I didn't. I didn't see that. No, that yeah, one of one one of the uh, one of the uh, reporters even said that's the worst thing they did was yet Yuli go so he so he can start talking. It'd have been a lot smarter just to resign. So resign him just so he don't talk. Well, talk for what? I mean, it it, it don't mean. Yeah, nothing. I mean that's but, what I'm, but yeah. if you look him up and see what he says. He's saying that more players need to stand up and and admit that they were doing the wrong thing. They were cheating and all this and all that. But 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 he didn't want to say nothing about that last year though. Well, it, it, it's all it, 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 it's all silliness. Anyway, I appreciate it. Thanks for all the right, call. Good. No, Yuli is. Uh, I mean, Yuli was beloved, so I'm I'm I, I'm surprised if he if he takes cheap shots. But you know, whatever. It 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 is what it. I'm sure he was mad that they didn't resign him. And look, there's some. Um, there are some p- fans. I'm sure that if Abreu don't start hitting. Are gonna, you know, starting getting restless again. I, I still think it's really early, and Abreu has a long history of of being. You know, he's never had a bad year in the major leagues. Now he got to the major leagues late, so some of those early years, bad years that people have, um, you know, he didn't really go through because he 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 played. He can't, he got in. He was in Cuba for a long time. So by the time he got here, he was already an established hitter. But but he's never really had a bad year, and he's off to a bad start. And so we'll see. So I, I don't think his power numbers are going to be there. But 
I don't know. Might they might Astros might end up missing Yuli longer than 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 what we thought. But it's um, you know, I I mean, for people now, again, it just shows such a lack of understanding of the game. I mean, for people to still be talking about that, it's just like what has to happen for people to for, for someone to understand that banging trash cans at home games and stealing signs, which everyone does, uh, is not what carried them to, you know, you know, they've won quite a few games since they stopped doing all that silliness. Quite a few. All right, we'll take a timeout and be back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Are you fluent in Footlish? Not to worry. We're here to help with the Footlish Dictionary. Benedict Arnold's. Benedict Arnold's. Now, an NFL expansion team that stole a bunch of Saints players and coaches when first created, also known as the Carolina Panthers. Now, back to the man with his very own language. Kevin Foote and Footnotes. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. You know, we just heard that little promo about the Benedict Arnolds. We really haven't talked much. I haven't even thought much about the fact that Bryce Young, um, you know, all all signs point to where he's going to be the uh, the number one pick, and he's going to be going to the Arnolds, and you know how he's going to do, and how that's going to work out. I hadn't really, hadn't really that hadn't even sunk in yet. Like. I guess once the draft is over and we get closer to the season, uh, we'll kind of contemplate that a little more. But right now, uh, you know, kind of the focus is on what are the Texans going to do? You know, every, you know, you, well, not every, but any, you know, you look up mock drafts. Some people are still sending Stroud to the Texans. Other people are thinking they're not going to do that. Um, that they're going to pick a defensive player. I've even seen Tyree Wilson going to the Falcons. It wouldn't shock me at all if the if I mean to the uh, Texans. It wouldn't shock me at all if the Texans have Tyree Wilson as the top rated defensive player in the draft. Yeah, I had a conversation with a friend of mine yes last you know last night and and. I was basically saying, I don't know why I'm falling for it because this feels like the classic draft week propaganda stuff, yes. but I'm, I'm, I'm thinking Stroud's not going to be the second quarterback taken now. Like, I'm just buying it now. I'm buying it too, and I'm buying it cautiously. Like, I know that it, if it happens, I'm going to be going, why did you buy that? I mean, but I, I, it, there's so many different levels to it, to me, including the agent thing. Yeah, and, and then... This test thing I can't get over too because of these the comments around it, which again, like it's crazy. Like we watched him play football and make decisions against the best defense in like the last twenty years in Georgia. So that should kind of like, but again, the NFL is a different level of it, and so you know a lot of times you consider that transition. And if a guy, you know, what at least some people were saying was that guys who don't test well on that test historically aren't able to make the transition. So that's been in my head too, but 
I don't know why. Yeah, I'm just I'm just thinking somebody goes up and gets Levis or Richardson first. Even if you don't buy that you stay away from a school because of how their alumni have done. Because uh, who was it that uh, somebody that we talked about, maybe it was Luke, the, not the last interview, but the one before that, that the history of Clemson defensive players is not that good. Not as good as you would think it would be for as good as they've been. But don't you think quarterback, because of how they run systems, that 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 you would put more credence in that than other positions? Yes, but I do still think you. Com- it's completely still case by case basis because, like, there was a time where a long stretch of time where you'd have felt that way about Alabama quarterbacks because Alabama was built to win with defense and running the football right and. Even some of the quarterbacks who put up big numbers were doing so in systems that were designed to be easier. But then that kind of changed when Nick Saban kind of modernized his You're offense. Right, exactly. And now we've seen Alabama quarterbacks right. have success. But that's still system. Yeah. And so, was the system changed or the results changed? Right. And so that's where you are with Ohio State because they always had somewhat of a modernized scheme. They weren't running. They weren't old school Alabama football running the ball with these quarterbacks. But they haven't had success with their guys but I also don't know how many like prototypical NFL type quarterbacks they've had you know what I mean because some of the guys that they had in the past you know Troy and and Braxton Miller like those guys weren't prototypical NFL guys the way Stroud is now maybe Cardell Jones was and that one didn't work right and you know same thing with like remember they had those three quarterbacks and those Haskins theoretically yeah Haskins and so there is some some merit to it, but I do think there's an opportunity for the for Stroud to be the, you know, Tua or whichever Alabama quarterback you want to use as the breakthrough of an NFL quarterbacks having success. It's um if one of these teams pass on him and the guy turns out to be really good, you know, that that there's gonna be a lot, you know, the fans are gonna be furious and you know, but again it's a position where it seems like those tests matter more than other positions. You know, or you know, why would I'm I'm not going to say why would they give them, but why would we really analyze the results if at that position it didn't matter? I, I think at that position it kind of does matter. Yeah, and and again, these teams that are making these decisions have far more information about the player than we do, and they've had real life conversations and sit downs with him, presumably most of the ones that are interested in him at least, and have had a chance probably to ask him about the test and say, hey, we saw this. Can you you know, give us some type of reasoning as to what was going on or this or that? So I think the teams that pass on him will be doing so having done their homework uh, if they choose to. And if a team does their homework and does it and sees the test scores and says it's fine, then they might go up and get him. But I'm just, for what, I'm just thinking Levis. And now it's, it feels like Levis, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't close the book on Richardson being the second quarterback taken either. Um, the next thing is, where are you as we get closer in terms of evaluating smoke screens on how far Jalen Carter's going to fall? Because that's eight. the other smoke screen. Yeah, I think I think he's in the top eight. I don't I don't see him falling out of it, and I certainly don't see him falling out of the top ten. That's just kind of been my feeling on it. I think I've been having him going to Seattle for you know for a while, and I'm thinking about maybe Detroit now, but but. To me, Seattle, I mean, look, if I'm a Seahawks fan, 
I've heard all this. Oh, they might pick a quarterback. I would not. I would not want to mess with that. You have a chance to get like, I don't know, a Jalen Carter and a uh, Nolan Smith, and really help your pass rush, or reverse, or get like a Tyree Wilson if he happens to fall to him, and a you know Cancy or or Brazier or whatever defensive lineman that you that you like. Um, and you have a chance because they've been not good defensively at all. Like they have a chance to really impact their defense here with these two first round picks. If I'm a Seahawks fan, I would be very angry if they picked an offensive player. Very, very angry. So we'll see how that plays out. No, it's um, it's all what you believe. And I've, I, you know, I keep telling myself, why would they tell you the truth if they really believed it? So we'll see. One hour down, another hour to follow. Stay tuned. Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. Broadcasting live from the EFCO Development Studios in Upper Lafayette. EFCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3, 133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 706-0111-337-706-0111. One, one. Now is a good time to call in or the next segment. We'll be talking to Jerry Glasgow in about a half, a little over a half hour from now about Cajun softball heading into a weekend. They only got seven regular season games, a lot more than that in, in baseball. But softball, they only have seven regular season games left. Baseball last night it was kind of a weird game. You know, they... The, the only thing that really surprised me about last night, it wasn't a surprise that they used multiple pitchers because, you know, they you normally use multiple pitchers in a midweek game anyway. And even more than that, Coach Deggs hinted on our show and kind of gave a little more information on that on Monday at, at, at his presser about how he's going to, I don't know how best to call He called it line shifts, kind of like hockey, with a hockey reference there. I call it, you know, pitching by, you know, the, by bullpen. You know, it's kind of like what you do when you've run out of pitching on at the end of a a, 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 uh, a conference tournament or, or, you know, in a midweek game. And he's talking about employing that for the whole weekend, at least for this week. So we'll see how that plays out. But the thing that surprised me is not only did he do it, he pitched Fluno, who's one of his best bullpen arms. Christie, who was, you know, at times one of the best bullpen arms. He's been real up and down of late. He's had a real problem with hit batsmen. Uh, and, and then obviously he had the great performance against LSU. And so he used guys that, you know, were – it's not surprised that he used some of them, but I was surprised that he used like all of them. He used Blake, Blake Marshall as and well. Rolls and Toy. I mean, yeah. were the other ones. No, I wanted to ask you what, where do you think the frustration from Coach Deggs came from? Other than, I mean, I know Christie wasn't sharp, but and Fluno gave up some hits, but it didn't feel like they, you know, they didn't make any errors. They they swung the bats okay. They scored ten runs. They kind of converted their opportunities. He talked about um, pulling off of pitches. I I think. 
I think the frustration came from hitting two batters with two outs and creating a three-run inning by hit two hit batsmen. And apparently there were too many scenarios where guys were at the plate and pulled off pitches. I mean, that, that was the, that's what he said. Well, that makes sense, I guess. And especially like, you know, it's, I also appreciate when we aren't as results oriented and coaches are usually pretty good at that. And we've talked about that a lot. You can't, you know, but my other question, which I asked it to Jay Walker in the first show, and, you know, he gave me, I think, the best answer he could at this point. Again, I just, I don't think anybody knows except the coaching staff, and maybe they don't even fully know, is like, how long do you think this committee by, you know, approach could even work? Because it's just, we don't see it. And when you're playing Coastal this weekend, I don't know if that's a good time to test it anyway, because I don't know if you're, you know, if you had three great starters. Well, what is your, but, but again, the point is, what are your options? Yeah, and that's fair. I think, I, I, I you know, he, in other words, if I'm going to get beat, I'm going to get beat something, do something different than than go out and send guys who have been getting shelled to get shelled again, you know. Yeah, the only thing I could have thought is 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 the idea of Rawls going into a traditional Friday night role and not being used in the midweek, um, and him being there, and then I think McGee he hasn't given you a big enough sample size of being bad. So, yeah, he's only had one bad outing. Now, again, but I don't know how many innings he can really go. Yeah, and, and Nez has just been so inconsistent. So, I, I don't know. I thought there was an opportunity to not abandon the traditional way of doing things. But, like what I said earlier today, I mean, with Coastal, either you're going to get some performances on the mound that you weren't expecting, or you're not going to win this series. Because I just don't see you outscoring Coastal two out of these three games. Well, they're going to have to hit. There's no question there. They're going to have to, to hit, but I still series. think you're going to have to get performances that you're not expecting. The the other thing, he's trying to maximize the arms that he does have confidence in by using them twice in a week and figuring they're not they're, those arms are not so good that they're going to go out and give you a late-season Jacob Schultz performance seven or eight innings anyway. So you're probably only going to get four or five innings um, anyway, so you might as well – Use them twice and and affect two games with your best arms. But again, the bigger picture here of all of this is, to me, is you've now gone two seasons without any starting pitching. Because they didn't have starting pitching last year. What they had was they had to go to the bullpen and find two starting pitchers. And for the most part, Schultz and Tally came through big for them. But those guys were bullpen guys. They had to go to the back of the bullpen yeah, Tally was and a two-way get player. two guys. And, and he they was a two-way player. thought he was going to be player. a first baseman, and then he ended up being the Friday night starter. Yeah, and so they had to... They had to go get two bullpen guys to to, to really make make any kind of a start, and they they came through. I mean, Schultz was awesome at the end of last season. I really like that guy too. But and then this year they're essentially doing the same thing. Jake Ammon was a relief pitcher, and they tried to make him a starter, and it didn't work. Um, I mean, now Nezu and. McGeehee or transfers from Ole Miss and Florida State, and they were supposed to be starting pitching, but it didn't happen. They, I mean, when was the last time they had a starting pitcher that was a, supposed to be a starting pitcher and was successful as a starting pitcher? Yeah, I mean, even like Arigetti wasn't a guy who started the season in the rotation. I'm trying to remember the last time they had like a a, I guess it was Gunnar Leger. No, what you call it did real well. Uh, what was his name the year before? Or was it the year after Arigetti? It was the COVID year. 
Who was the the guy who had that great season during the COVID year and he got oh. I'll look it up. Anyway. Um anyway, the, the it's I think the bigger picture concern wise, if I'm a Cajun fan, is um we got we got to start getting starting pitchers and 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 look, there's nothing wrong with changing someone's role. It's just that this is two years in a row you're having to rob from the bullpen to to try to find a starting pitcher. I just don't think that's the route. I mean, I'm not saying this is they volunteered for this route. It's just that they're when you feel like you have to do that. That's that's um. Are we, are we talking about Brandon Young, Carter Robinson? Brandon Young, Brandon Brandon Young yeah. Because um, even Cook, again, was a bullpen guy that ended up being a starter. It's, um, you know, they they signed some guys that they had high hopes for and they didn't work out and they're not at the school anymore. Uh, it's it, You know, it's just, look, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying... The, I don't know what, like someone tweeted, like I said yesterday, like ask the hard questions. The problem is I don't know that there are any answers. They're searching because they're constantly behind and they just can't ever settle on any starting pitching. Let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Hey, Kevin. Howdy, sir. <clears throat> hey, you keep on bringing up uh, Chris Neoli, right, for the draft. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, you know what the, you remember what the knock on him was, right, when we drafted him? Well, he was small, and his arms were short. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. It, I think it's just funny that you know. Well, look, they're, they're not going to draft someone. Yeah, they're not going to draft someone with Chris Naoli's. To your point, no. But I'm just talking about a guy that, right? We didn't really hardly talk about. I don't even remember talking about him when the Saints drafted him. Right. I, I just thought it's kind of funny that. They're both known for having short arms. Anyways. So what do you uh, think? So I, I read something the other day. Hadn't us trained up to get Lucas Van Ness. And, you know, you do you think we're actually going to stay at 29? Well, I, I, I think that they're not going to have a lot of I've – been say, I've been thinking that a while, that a lot of the guys that they want that they probably really want are not going to be there. And for them to get one, you know, I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of options when they get to 29. Right. Uh, unless they're really high on one of the guards. Uh, and again, we don't know that. We're just guessing. If they're really high on one of the guards, there's a chance that Torrance will be going. I don't know that anyone else will be going. But if they're really high on one of the guards, they'll be there. I think it's possible Adabare is going to be there if they really are high on him. Um, but if now, not, like, there's they... a, lot, a lot of people talking about him too. Like he's a really good possibility, you know. But I just can't. I don't see us staying. We, we, we don't, you know. They see someone they like, they go get them, right? Absolutely, and and for the most part, it works. And I'm okay with that. But I'd really rather that they didn't. Now, again, if they're going up to get Bajon Robinson, I'm okay with that, but I don't I don't really expect that to happen. What about that defensive lineman from Iowa? Van Ness. Van Ness, yeah. I mean, I, Cause, I mean he's got the build like Cam Jordan, you know. I, and, you I, know, like Davenport, man, that dude screwed us over so bad, man. Oh, like, yeah. yes. we gave up Trey Hendrickson for that guy, you know. I don't know. No, that was bad. 
Um, uh, and yeah, he 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 did not come through. But you know, I I kind of think Vin. You know, some people, a lot of people. I say a lot. Some people are very convinced that the Eagles are going to pick him. You know, I I kind of think the Packers could pick him. Yeah, so like the Packers and like and no, uh, you know, and the Packers now. So I don't even know if he's going to get to fifteen. Man, to trade up that many spots is going to take more than I'm certainly wanting to give. But uh, so no, I I don't. I'm not saying if he drops that it's not possible. But you know, is he going to get by the Packers and then is he going to get by the Eagles before that? So we'll see. Yeah. Anyways, it's. I just, I, I don't know. I, I see if someone falls to, like, around the 20-ish mark, I, I see it's trading up. You know what I'm saying? They, they never stay back. That's true. No matter how much you want to. They very want rarely to. do. But anyways, thank you. Thanks. You know, one time they did, and they got Ramchek. And, uh, you know, and they have stayed before. But, but even if they don't stay in the first round in somebody, you know, they're just very active. There's just no arguing that. So we know that. And, and, you know, every once in a while, like we talked about, you get burned, but a lot of times it works out for them. I keep looking at this Isaiah Foskey's name. We mentioned him a few times. It's a great name. I don't, I don't, I don't really think they're going to go that route, but, um, it's just one of those curveball names to, to to look at and see what they do. Think about it. We just got two more days. Well, I know the draft's tomorrow, but tomorrow when we're here on the show, we're going to be in the same situation right now, trying to guess and agonize through the details and the waiting process. Fri- finally for Friday. But can you imagine, like, all of us want the unthinkable to happen, and if it happens – well, it's not going to happen, so I, 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 I'm not even going to go that route. I'm not even going to go that route. I, I, I said I would never do it, so I can't do it. We'll go ahead and um, take a timeout and be back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Are you fluent in Footlish? Not to worry. We're here to help with the Footlish Dictionary. The little MVPs. The little MVPs. Now, a Major League Baseball team that struggles to win games despite having multiple MVP winners on its roster. Also known as the Los Angeles Angels. Now, back to the man with his very own language. Kevin Foote. And footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Want to remind you, Astros raise tonight, game three, rubber game of that series. I guess this certainly counts as a getaway day, right? Astros are playing at home this weekend. The Astros have not lost a getaway day since early August of last season. Early August. Wow. Um, It is going to be um, very interesting the way that uh, to see how how that's going to work out but an interesting um 
very interesting game in, in for that series. Astros raised. I don't even know who the Rays are starting, and the Astros are starting. You know, their uh, their rookie pitcher who we're very 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 high on, and so um, he. Um, the Rays are starting Calvin Foucher. I don't think I know him. I, I don't think I do either. Uh, he's got a 5-9-1 ERA. He's a bullpen guy. Um, so they're going opener, I guess. Um, He has tar- started two games, but he's made six appearances, so I guess they use him as a little bit of an opener. Yeah. And that... Um, that it could work tremendous. Um... You know, hope hope that he. Um, you know, we'll see what the Astros do, but 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 the game really it doesn't matter because they already got the they already avoided the sweep, and so um, I'm happy either way. Look, I, if they get if they go. Five and one against the Rays and the Braves, then that would be um, tremendous, and so way beyond any expectations that I have. So it, you know, let, we'll, we'll we'll see how that plays out. But it is, um, you know, it should should be a great great game today, and 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 we'll we'll, we'll see. All right, so we've got Astros Rays. We are going to be talking in the next segment with uh, Cajun Softball with Jerry Glasgow, and we've got a lot of interesting things to discuss there. Their RPI is down just a hair, and so we'll see what, where, where he feels going into this series and, and how things are going with the um, with, with with the softball team there, and then again tomorrow we we've got the draft. We talked a little bit about the NBA, and last night was really shocking. I mean, just no one thought the Celtics would lose, and they lost in shocking fashion wearing embarrassing uniforms and you know and then now tonight i think it's going to be even more interesting because you've got the lakers that oh, i kind of feel like are not going to win tonight and you've got the heat i kind of feel like not going to win tonight and so it's um you know that 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 will push that series back but you know who is really sitting prettier than anyone right now is the sixers like i think a lot of us national a lot of people nationally were like are the sixers really good enough to beat the celtics and the bucks well Um, now that the first round has started, 
I'm wondering what do people think about that now? Because it seems like the Sixers are in a um, in a great situation here, and I um, I kind of feel like they might benefit by how well the Hawks are playing and how well the Heat are playing. It, it is it is um, just scary that the how. If I'm a Sixer fan, I'm like, uh-oh, this is our opportunity to to get it done. Um, and and so we'll see how if they can play. But I really think this. I really think the the Sixers are in a beautiful situation here for them. Now they still have a lot of guys on their team that have never do never done it before. Um, and so they have to do that in the clutch, and they have to prove it in the clutch. But they are they. I, it's been a long time since they had this great of an opportunity. So we'll see what they do. So certainly, um, um, before and or, or what not after. Before uh, Coach Glasgow, if you want any thoughts on the NBA, you certainly um, can do that. As far as uh, baseball this weekend, we were talking earlier um, with Coastal Carolina. I, have we have we come up with any examples? I mean, Coach. Coach Deggs said, "There, you know, this has happened before, and certainly it's happened before. But over a long period of time, I don't know if there are any examples of this happening long term. So we'll just have to wait and see how. It, it, if it fails, I don't know where you go from here. You know, I think you just have to make. I mean, if this doesn't work, if they lose the series and they don't pitch well, what what's the next step?" I don't. I mean, you're. At, you still could theoretically still win the conference tournament, so you can't like throw up your arms and give up. But you've got to. I, I don't know what the next step is going to be. It, it's um. It is a not a good situation to be in, and that's. I mean, just think about. It. I know college baseball is different than the major leagues, but. That's what's so comforting if you're an Astro fan. I mean, they have more starting pitching than they really almost have more starting pitching than they know what to do with right now. Like Hunter Brown, if he keeps pitching well and Garcia's pitching well, if Urquidy ever gets it back going again and then McCullough comes back, then you have they have so much starting pitching, it's unbelievable. And so it's it's a huge luxury. And and but but I mean just look at LSU. LSU's the number one team in the country. They have one great pitcher and they have one okay. And then after that, who? So even when you're at the LSU level, you know, having that consistent, dependable pitching, it 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 not everybody has that. And so, no, it's it's gonna be there's a lot of pressure this weekend. But um and they gotta play tonight. Like Coach Deggs talks about he likes to play every day, and I get that mentality. I mean, I love that about baseball. I've preached that for years and years and years about baseball, that um, that you know they play every day and football's too slow and all that. And I love if you lose a game, you can get to play tomorrow. So I understand that, but he, I mean, I don't know that he has enough pitching for – 
three game weeks, much less five game weeks. Now, if and I think that's why they're doing what the, what they're doing. If you can max and get two outings a week out of Toit and get it now that he's pitching again, get two outings a week out of Cooper Rawls, get two outings. Hopefully, Christie can pitch well. Um, you know, it is. Um, they can maybe maximize their effective pitching. Is and it's what he's trying to do. It's it's why, um, you know, for years I, I've thought about. It. I can remember going back to many many years ago. The Astros had a pitcher and, and he kind of flamed out, but his name was Scott Ellerton, and they they kind of flirted with that. Is he more valuable as a starter, or is he more valuable pitching in relief multiple times? Because of the way that he pitched, and so it it, it can be a tough decision. There, they don't. Again, if you're not going to ever get seven innings out of someone, then are you maximizing his value in one game a week by trying to get him to go five or six innings, which may not be effective anyway? So I think they decided if I don't have a bunch of guys who are going to ever go six or seven innings, then we might as well pitch the better ones that can give me three innings two or three times a week and affect two games rather than affect one game with a mediocre, you know, trying to get more innings out of them. I think that's the mentality that they're trying to do. We'll see if it works. It's going to be tough. Um, no, uh, you know, I don't know that it's going to work, but it um, it'll 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 be interesting to to see how it plays out this weekend. So it's scary, but it could be a really fascinating weekend watching to see how this is going to play out with a really hot hitting team in Coastal Carolina in town. All right, we'll take a timeout and be back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. This is Footnotes. Live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes, Kevin Foot on the game. We have with us UL softball coach Jerry Glasgow. How are you, sir? Good, Kevin. How are you? Well, I'm hanging in there, looking forward to, to seeing how the, the Saints fare in the NFL draft t- tomorrow. I know you probably typically don't have time to, to fool with that during the softball season, but it's going to be an interesting night tomorrow for me anyway. Yeah, I've been listening a little bit to you, uh, to your talk show, you know, and hearing you talking about how they have to get somebody to contribute. So that's about what I know about the uh, NFL draft. I I got you. All right. So, um, you know, this weekend, I I heard you say at Monday's Presser, and I agree, I like having unique parks, and yet it can be a challenge at times. So is it a little bit nerve-wracking going to a park that you feel like you might need to score a fair amount of wins? You might be tough to win 3-2 to at Coastal Carolina. Yeah, you know, we've seen every kind of game out there. The ball just flies out of the park, and it's partly short. The fence has always been short in center field. Someone was telling me that they had increased that distance, but I don't on video I didn't see that. But regardless, the wind pushes the ball out of there pretty easy uh, on certain days. So 
we've seen low scoring games, we've had high scoring games out there, but the one thing in common, they always they always play us tough there. So there's nothing automatic about this series. It'll be a it, it's going to be a hard fought battle, I'm sure. You know, one of the players that we talked a lot about at the beginning, and then she got hurt. And so she was kind of out of the picture for a little while. But when you've played Taylor Roman recently, she's having some really good at bats. What, what, what do you kind of foresee that role putting her in, you know, once you get to the postseason, you know, maybe in a crucial situation to, to drive the ball out the infield? What, what, what do you see with her and the progress she's made? Well, she's, she's uh, fighting a leg injury. And very limited, like she can't stride full stride. So running right now is a, uh, it's really hard for her. Um, she's very limited, but she's able to hit, and she's hitting really, really well now. You know, and and she's full of confidence. So what we'll do, we'll just continue to use her in that pinch hitting role, and try to get her and at bat every game, and then in between. Uh, series, try to get her a few at-bats as well just to keep her, you know, seeing the ball well because she can have a huge impact with her bat as you've seen in the last few games. And our average, I think, is up now well over 400. So pretty neat. And she's just a really popular player on the team. You know, the kids, really, she's a tremendous leader, uh, very kind person, uh, very well respected by coaches and teammates uh, as one of the leaders on the team. So really uh she's giving us a big lift when she comes in and this weekend i mean might we were just talking about driving the ball out the park i mean she certainly has the ability to do that so i, I could you could see uh, i could see her having a a big impact on this weekend potentially yeah anytime she hits the ball in the air it's going to leave the park if she hits it well and gets it in the air it's going to go it's going to go out of the park it's just getting her to get the ball in the air was uh, early in the year i think her first 12 at bats were ground balls and and she she gets uh, she gets top half sometimes when you want her to get bottom half, but she's been really good at that lately, and getting getting the ball up and elevating it. And when she does, that really good things happen. All right, so you've been you know doing a little bit of experimenting, which I think is the right thing to do at this time of the year, figuring out what all your options are going in to uh, the postseason. You know, we we, we saw. Uh, Laney Crater catch a ball near the warning track in left field. We've seen Stormy at first and second and third and a lot of different other options. So how, for the most part, have all the – how has that worked out, like handled, you know, the the experimenting that you've done from a defensive perspective I'm talking about, do you think? I think we're getting closer to uh, knowing what our best lineup is. You know, like right now, without a doubt, Maddie Hayden has settled in at third base and and wants to be there now. She she was really good early in the year. This didn't feel comfortable playing that position. I think preferred the outfield, which is totally understandable. But she's at a point now where she understands that. That's what we need her to do. That's what our team needs her to do. And she's been outstanding defensively over there. Uh, Langlers has moved back to short, and I foresee her staying there. I think she was outstanding, uh, really, really good at second base. And, you know, she played the majority of the season at second base. Uh, so she'll be – she's she's moved back over to short. She's very comfortable there. 
and she's getting her getting a feel for that position back. Uh, and and seems like we just play better with her there as a team. So that that pretty well set that position. Of course, Maya Davis has been in center field, you know, every game this season that she's been healthy, so that's locked in. Uh, we've got two good catchers. Um, we feel like that, um, you know, we can win games with either catcher. And Sophie's has a little bit of banged up hand injury and, and getting better. Uh, we were able to catch her the last game of the last series. So we feel comfortable either way there. Um, so now we're just, you know, trying to figure out offensively. Lauren, Lauren, Lauren Allred's definitely locked in as our first baseman due to her defense and her bat. And then Jordan Campbell can go anywhere we need her to go. She can play second. She can play outfield. Um, we just, you know, we we'll put her in that lineup where we need her on any given day. Her bat's important, and I think Stormy's a lot the same way. Stormy's not comfortable in the outfield, but she's comfortable at second or third. So we're just kind of, we're, you know, kind of fitting it all together, and then trying to figure out which nine kids play together. It's not necessarily about which is the best nine kids right now. It's which nine kids play the play the best together as a team. And so that's kind of where we're at right now. What One of the things that could really make everything you just said work, if down the stretch Maddie Hayden hits like Maddie Hayden did last season, what, what, what's been kind of missing or what's a little off and, and what is it going to take to get for her to get back to that level offensively? I thought she looked really good last weekend. Uh, I think early in the season, you know, if you remember the first half of the season, we put her in the two-hole behind Maya Davis. And she was outstanding there. She was taking a lot of pitches and give Maya time to steal and get over into scoring position and get her over on over to third or in after she stole second. Um, but that's also hard mentally on her. You know, you have to go to a two-strike count almost every time before you swing the bat. And so I felt like that wore on her, and I think that probably had a little bit of mental strain and effect on her hitting. Uh, so we moved her. Then we moved her out of that spot, and we've moved her up and down the lineup. And um, you know, she's a really talented hitter. I'm not worried about her at all. I think it's just a matter, of, you know, her getting hot at the right time. Kind of like Langlier's, you know, three weeks ago we was all like, man, she's hitting home runs, but she's not hitting for average like she normally does. And then since that time, the last three weeks or so, she's back up hitting over 300, and and looks like the same, you know, hitter we saw last year and even maybe a little bit more power. So I think that some of these sophomores, you know, they, they go into their sophomore year after a great freshman year, and they think, you know, they have to repeat it, and they put pressure on themselves mentally to repeat their freshman year. I think Maddie hit, she was over 400 all year last year, and then slumped right there at the end of the season, I think ended up down around 360, um, 370 maybe, and you know, it's not easy. That's it's not easy to hit three seventy in college. And I think the frustration when they can't repeat that, it it then it ends up escalating and, and makes it even harder. But that you know, we Maddie Hayden's not the least of my worries offensively. The kick can really hit, she can really swing the bat, her speed gets her on base, she'll beat out some infield hits. And I think that's the one thing we didn't see early. We just weren't seeing those slow rolling ground balls that we saw last year. She'd hit a lot of balls in the five six hole and beat them out for a base hit. And those weren't there early in the year and, and we're starting to see more 
a mix in her offensive game right now. The need to protect Maya when she runs. I mean, how as the season is going on, is that based? Is that kind of like the opponent and how good the how quick the pitcher is and the catcher and all of it? It just seems like she's so fast. Sometimes you don't need to protect her, and then sometimes you do. I guess. Yeah, it all depends on what they're. You know, the speed of the pitcher matters. If they're throwing 70, it makes it get there pretty quick. The other part is if, if it's a drop ball pitcher or a change-up pitcher, it's really easy for her to run without having to protect her. But if they're throwing the ball, if they're throwing rise balls and up in the zone or, you know, anything up where the catcher can get up on, up off her feet uh, early before she catches the ball, that, that makes it a little, little more necessary to protect Maya and – and teams are pitching out like they're pitching out almost every time on her now, and we're still running sometimes when they we they're going to pitch out on the first pitch, and we know they're going to pitch out, and we'll still run, and and she's still making it probably seventy five, eighty percent of the time, even on pitch outs. So, so that's you know, but it's it puts a lot of pressure on whoever's batting behind her. So we've kind of tried the second half of the season. I've kind of tried to rotate different people in that two hole. I've had Heath there some. I've had Jordan Campbell there some. And uh, Lainey Crater's really good there because she likes to look at pitches. We could see her there before the season's over as well. All right, one more thing. Are, 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 have you? I know you've always thinking big picture. I mean, small and big picture. But now, where you are right now, or is it? Are you still kind of looking at the big picture and RPI and where you fit in? Or are you at the point where? There's not a whole lot else you can do other than just go out and win, and so just focusing on each game. Like, what, 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 where are you in that whole process right now? Yeah, I, you know, I, I'm just right now we're we've done what we can do RPI wise. We don't have any games left that that will jump us up RPI. You know, into the seven. We're we're at eleven. Uh, yesterday, I haven't looked this morning, but we were at eleven. I don't see any way we could jump up into that seven eight range. I think if we went out, we'll stay right there where we're at between ten and twelve. Um, you just want to at this point, you've done what you can do. I, I, my worry is the as far as the regional. I think the the win loss record against the top twenty five isn't good enough. I think that could end up preventing us from hosting a regional, and I don't know that that's a bad thing because. I don't really want number 16 where you know you're going to Oklahoma. I don't really want number 15 where you got to travel all the way to cross country to go to UCLA. If we get that, we'll take it and we'll, we'll do the best we can do in the circumstances we got. But I don't know that it's really that, that big of an advantage to, to get a regional. It may even be a, an advantage to get a number two seat and go somewhere, you know, to a, to a local regional. As a two seed, but you can't you don't have any control over that. You just go out and play. And the one thing I do want to do, I want to try to keep winning. I want to be sure we win the conference. I want to keep our hold on the the conference title. Uh, that's my main priority. And that's you know with this series of Coastal Carolina, it's 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 a landmine. It could be a trap for us if we relax and and don't play our best ball. So. We just want to play good down the stretch and then have some momentum going into the conference tournament. All righty, sir. We appreciate your time as always. Y'all have safe travels out to the East Coast. All right. Thanks, Kevin. 
This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Do your loved ones run for cover when watching a game with you? Then Footnotes is the show for you. Time for more Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. It's been a long way to get into tomorrow in the NFL draft, and we are almost here. And look, Manny has helped. Many of you have also helped, and we've tried our best. Um, Manny threw up a name today in Turner. I've never really – I don't believe – I can't believe that guy's part of the fig, the picture, but I got to admit I've not really considered him. So that would certainly be a curveball if that happens. And, and, and cornerback would be a curveball position – for me as well. I don't really see that happening either. I think we're looking at a large lad um, that will be drafted either way, and we'll see how that plays. But but again, tomorrow, tomorrow is the day of, and so we're getting really, really close, and it's just the uh, – right now it's a matter. We've been talking – we talked about it at the beginning of the show, and we've talked about it here and there in recent weeks. It's all a matter of what you believe – in what you don't want to, in what you don't believe. And I, I don't, I just think that the Texans have a head coach that comes from a system that doesn't worship the quarterback position. And I think that the GM comes from a place that has not drafted that way of worshiping the, you know, they, they have not picked quarterbacks real high. Again, I know Brady was a Hall of Fame quarterback, but Brady was their second sixth-round pick. So they've never, you know, what, Jimmy G was like a second or third-round pick. They, they, they've never really drafted, oh, let's go get a quarterback. So I don't know that there's a pedigree in the people making their decisions in Houston that are, you know, in this QW mode that so many, so much of the league is in. And so – you know that makes me believe the whole agent thing makes me makes it believable for me and the fact that you have a young coach who's a defensive coach who has is taking over a unit that is miserable defensively you know it's not like he's taking over a team you know, kind of like the Saints have been in recent years or like the Jets were last year where they really are pretty good defensively. They just have no offense. He's not taking that over. He's taking over a team that they've been miserable on defense. Um, so it's believable. But again... All of that is easy to believe, but that doesn't mean they're not going to pick a quarterback. And so it's just, you know, again, and the other thing is we we talked yesterday, the Aaron Rodgers situation is over, but Lamar Jackson is still out there. I mean, would it shock any of us if he was traded tomorrow? It would be, it would be blockbuster news, that's for sure. 
the Houston, the uh, well, the old Houston Oilers, the te- the Titans. What what are they gonna like? Are they really gonna wait? If you're the Titans, are you gonna wait for a, and hope a quarterback falls at eleven? To me, the most logical thing that should happen is the Titans should trade up. With the Cardinals, and if not the Cardinals, the Raiders. Like, I think the Raiders should trade back. Because if the Raiders trade back to like 11 or 12, they're, especially 11 with the with the Titans, they're going to probably pick the same thing at 11 that they were going to pick where they are. So you might as well trade back and get another second-round pick or whatever you're going to get in the deal. To me, the... To, unless the Raiders are, are saying, well, we have a veteran quarterback who's not a long-term solution, so let's go ahead and draft Richardson and bring him in and, and have him sit and learn a little bit. I guess that would make some sense if they're sold on Richardson's long-term potential. But if not, to me, the Raiders ought to trade with the Titans and let the Titans get a quarterback, whichever one that is left um, right there, and the Raiders are probably going to pick like a cornerback anyway. You know, if if a lot of us who have them eyeing a cornerback is that's what they're going to do, you're better off picking a cornerback at 11 and 6. I mean, someone seems too early to be picking a cornerback because that's another position that busts a lot. So, again, there's so part of the thing that's reason why I like this so much is there's so many layers to this NFL draft and predicting and what a team's going to do. They have, You have so many options. There's so many layers to it. And so many fa- different facets that play into the decisions that teams make. It has always fascinated me. One day to go. Have a good day.